Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire Signature NHL Hockey Pod Podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario. You can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host, as always, is AJ Scholes, a great follow at AJ Scholes, S-C-H-O-L-Z is the last name, 2-4, based in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. That's very close to Rotowire headquarters over in Madison. On today's show, we're going to be reviewing the second round series of the playoffs and previewing the matchups in the conference finals. It's not going to be a long, long episode, but we're going to hit the highlights of what we've seen and kind of give you previews of what's to come. We've had a little bit of fun online with one of our favorite uh, supporters, Daniel Negrano at Real Kid Poker. He's kind of ribbed AJ with his efforts in the pronunciation guide with some of the trickier names in the NHL and challenging him to come up with. Uh, the pronunciation of the the goalies that will be on tap for the series. But I added one other player in for good measure, uh, a winger on the Colorado side. So, AJ, I'm going to ask you to come (laughs) up with your three stars of the playoffs if if this goes the way that we think it might. Yeah, so, uh, you know, D-Neg's giving us some hard – giving me a hard time there. Obviously, the the easy one is Vasilevsky. Pretty straightforward, pretty simple, all things considered. Uh, the Shesterkin, uh, you know, that one, uh, <laughs> I, sometimes I mess up, but Shesterkin got to be a little more, uh, pronounced on the T there. And then, uh, Nanushkin. Nichushkin. Uh, Nichushkin. Yes. Uh, we Very just good. listened to that. Let's, uh, <laughs> here, I, I think it'll come through Paul here. I'll, uh, I'll pull it up for us. We can, uh, from the NHL media side, we'll, we'll take a listen together, make sure we have it, have it correct here. Uh, here we go. Val Nachushkin. Nachushkin. There we go. So uh, those are the, the three that will probably be the hardest here. I, I don't think uh, I don't think we're going to mispronounce McDavid or uh, McKinnon, either of those. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get them right. We'll get him. Right. boy. I'm con- I like the confidence. And uh, boy, teams that make it this far in the playoffs have got to be feeling confident too. But AJ, we're going to go through on today's episode and review the second round series. I admitted to you that I've watched more hockey this year in the postseason than in the last couple of years for sure. The, 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 the thing that strikes me is that the stars for these teams all the teams have really come out to play in these in this postseason, and it's been wonderful hockey, a high up-tempo for the most part. There's been, a, you know, we had a bit of a defensive focus with one of the series in the last round involving the Rangers and Carolina, and uh, that might be the focus in the Rangers series going forward, but I, I look at the other series, and I, I think it's going to be a goal fest between Edmonton and, and Colorado. I don't know how you see it, but I see one being a more defensive series and the one – being an absolute shootout. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's that's definitely uh, the way it at least looks on paper. Um, obviously, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, Mike Smith is able to put a real strong game together. Same can be said of uh, Darcy Kemper. So there's certainly goaltenders capable in that game. And then on the flip side, there's definitely offensive pieces uh, in that Ranger series, you know, Mika Zibanejad is third in points among all players in the postseason with 19. Uh, and obviously, uh, Nikita Kucherov, Steven Samko is certainly capable of producing as well. So uh, on paper, I think you're right. But, you know, it's why we play why we play the game. You never know. We could get a one one nothing game in Colorado Edmonton followed up by, you know, 
uh, a high scoring shootout in, in the Rangers uh, lightning series. So we'll, we'll have to tune in to find out. Okay, partner. Well, uh, I, I want to get past the technical issue with our show. I'm not seeing a timer. Are you, do you have it on your end? Yeah, we're good, man. Okay, good. <laughs> I just want to carry on then and, and let, let's fire up these, these second round reviews. Uh, beginning with the series in, in, in the state of Florida, AJ, we expected a knockdown drag him out affair that would, might go the distance, but we were on opposite sides of the issue. I thought that uh, Florida being the team that won the division, the, the Atlantic division, and Tampa coming in third, this was a chance for, for the Florida Panthers to really show who was the class of the division. Instead, they got a, a real lesson from the, the two-time defending champs, and uh, it was over very quickly. Yeah, I mean, I, I I was on Tampa. I thought I thought they would win, but I definitely picked them to go seven games on this one. It's uh, not – I did not expect a sweep, that's for sure. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, Vasilevsky really uh, turned it on. I mean, there's no arguing about that. They He found a completely another gear here uh, and was able to, you know, take it to, to a new level. So, um I think that's the key to that, that series. Like I said, I, I don't want to downplay, um, you know, some of the offensive pieces that, that the Bolts have, um, you know, Stamkos with two goals, Kudrov with a pair of goals, five helpers. Hedman had a decent series as well. But, I, you know, it really came down to the fact that the Vasilevsky found, rediscovered something. And, and really it was, you know, mostly that, that game six in the previous series, I think, is when things started to turn around because he was phenomenal in game seven as well. And you look, you know, that's that's five games in a row in which he's given up one or fewer goals, uh, including the the game four sh- shutout, faced 49 shots and was able to keep the Panthers off the board there. So uh, yeah. it's hard to argue that that was, wasn't the key to that. that Absolutely. Match. And you touched on it. The mathematics really tilted in Tampa's favor, considering that Florida was the highest scoring team in the NHL's regular season. It's stunning to see that the Tampa Lightning outscored the, the Panthers by a mark of 13 to 3 over that four game sweep. No wonder it was, uh, you know, lights out so quickly. But the champs really gave a lesson and uh, strong two way play and completely outclassed the Panthers. When you consider the big players on both teams, this really tells the story. Huberto, two assists. Barkov, one assist. Giroux, one assist. And Ekblad, no points, and a minus four. Meanwhile, for Tampa, Stankos, two goals, two helpers. Kucherov, two goals, five helpers. Hedman, three assists and a plus two. And Vasilevsky with the three goals against on a total of 154 shots. And not it's not for the, the lack of opportunity. That's 154 shots over four games played. That's almost an average of 40 per game. So it really underscores who was the key element in this series, and that was Andre Vasilevsky. You know, Bobrovsky, for his part, was no slouch, giving up a total of 10 goals. Uh, there were three empty netters in this series. And so uh, it was really very one-sided, but largely on the strength of an outstanding goaltending display. And uh, boy, oh boy, this guy's done it before on the, on the big stage, and, and he did it again. You got the series winner right uh, in calling Tampa in seven games. I had Florida winning in six, but we were both way off in terms of the total number of games played. And uh, weren't you shocked at the way that that the 
Panthers offense just couldn't answer the bell? I don't know if I'd go shocked all the way to shocked. I mean, we've seen this from Vasilevsky before, so I, I won't say shocked, um, but I, I expected more from them, certainly. Mm-hmm. Well, in any case, it's lights out on them. It could be attributed to the fact that they didn't have that much ex- experience in the postseason as a club, and uh, what better way to learn than from the defending two-time defending champs? So that's uh, that's their takeaway, I guess, uh, after a, a, a present trophy winning almost a President Trophy winning season that, that's gone down by the wayside here. And up next, we look at the, the series I talked about off the top, implied off the top. One of the defensive uh, struggles uh, of the second round was the series between the, the New York Rangers and Carolina Hurricane. The Hurricanes were a very strong defensive outfit all season long. They went into this series, AJ, without their number one goalie. And, and we both thought that was going to be a decisive thing because at the other end of the ice, you have a guy that's going to be in the discussion for Vezina Trophy accolades in Igor Shosturkin. We both thought this would be a long series. You nailed it, though, with the Rangers coming out on top in seven games. I had the Rangers winning in six. And uh, until the last game, no team won on the road. In fact, I saw a stat that uh, had to revert back to 1962 when the Maple Leafs played 12 playoff games. They didn't win a game on the road. They won all their games at home in that playoff run. And uh, Carolina was mimicking this in in these playoffs until game seven. And that was the decisive one. Uh, In the last two games, actually, the Rangers won going away. But before that, they had five games in this front end of the series that were just back and forth, nip and tuck. There wasn't much to choose from between these two teams. So uh, pretty early on, I thought it was going to go the distance, but... You nailed it in seven games. Tell me why you felt that it was going to go seven and and that the Rangers were going to win. Yeah, you know, I I think we, we both I, – I know I wasn't too high on, on anti-Ranta, um, but I do think it's important to point out his numbers were not bad. Uh, 9-2-2 was the save percentage, 2.26 goals against average, and, uh, one shout-out in there. So, really, he, he was not bad. Um, I thought the the Carolina Hurricanes would match up really well uh, from a forward complement with the Rangers. I did agree with you uh, that the Rangers had a bit of an edge, and I think we saw that in the likes of, you know, while Carolina had defensive guys, they, they don't have a, an Adam Fox who had two goals and six assists. Obviously, Shesterkin, give the edge to him in, in terms of net mining. So, um, I, I really did think the Rangers would win this one, and I just thought it would be close. And, and yeah, I do think it's important to note um, that, you know, it's just uh, that Antiranta did not have a terrible series, um, really put up pretty decent numbers. Absolutely. And there was talk right up to the last that maybe Freddie Anderson could play in that seventh game. But how you make the switch when you've committed to one goalie and he served you well in that whole series – I don't think you can second guess the fact that they started him and he, and he you know, he had a, a great series, as, as you said, with the numbers that he posted. So there shouldn't be any second guessing about putting in a, a cold Freddie Anderson and hoping that he would deliver something of a different outcome for Carolina. They were they were outplayed. When you look at the fact, uh, comparison of the big boys on both teams, Mika Zibanejad had eight points in this series, four goals and four helpers. Chris Kreider, three goals, one assist. Artemi Panarin was a guy that kind of under, underperformed for me for the Rangers, but even he had a goal and three helpers. Adam Fox was maybe their best 
player offensively with two goals and six assists from the defensive position. We mentioned Shesterkin allowing only 12 goals against in the total of the seven games that he appeared in. But consider on the flip side, with the exception of Sebastian Ajo, who had two goals, four helpers, Toivo Teravain and two goals, two assists. That's from your top line uh, winger in, in uh, a seven-game series, so they probably expected more from him. Evgeny Shvechnikov, he was on the second line. One goal, no helpers. So really, a guy that had a, a very strong regular season was almost nowhere to be found in this in this series. And then on the back end, their linchpin on the back end, Tony D'Angelo was limited to only two assists. So you compare that to the eight points that Fox got, and you see a real disparity there. So you, when, it's, when you start to dive into the numbers, you see that while it was a seven-game finish, I think this series was done after almost game five when the Rangers won the last two games going away, AJ. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly certainly a good – I mean, game game six would have been a home game for them. So, um, you know, they, they got that one and um, brought it in game seven. I You know, with how the series went, with every team winning at home throughout the series, I, I did – uh, I was entering game seven thinking maybe I was wrong. Maybe Carolina was going to pull it off. Um, I agree with your call. I wouldn't have put Freddie Anderson in for game seven if he was available. Might have considered putting him in for the next round um, if they had made it. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think I went into it being, okay, home side's just going to win this one out. Um, but the Rangers obviously brought, you know, they brought it. They came early in that game seven and, and didn't let up at all. And AJ, we uh, we didn't see the end of goalie issues in this round. When we consider the St. Louis, Colorado series, the Blues were a real formidable foe for Colorado early on in this set. But the worm turned in Game Three when Jordan Binnington went down. I think the St. Louis chances of extending the series, maybe even possibly winning it, went out the window. We were both on Colorado in a big way in this series. I had them winning in six. Uh, Colorado, you had them winning in five. The result was a six-game series, uh, so I got that part right. But uh, the out, the fact was that Colorado outscored St. Louis 22-18 on the series, implying that it was a close, closely contested. But I really do think that things changed when uh, when Bennington went out and Huso was forced back into the into the fray. Not that Huso's a bad goalie. He actually outperformed Bennington, I'll say, in the regular season. But Bennington did have the hot hand in the playoffs, and Huso just couldn't match that level. And you could see St. Louis really start to sag a little bit as the series went on. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do agree that it, it definitely turned when, when Huso came back in. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know what happened, uh, to, to be blunt, about, about him in the postseason. Because you're right, he was really good during the regular season. I mean, you're talking 40 games played. 25-7-6 and six was the record. Two shutouts there, 2.56 goals against average. I mean, there's going to be plenty of teams uh, that are, you know, interested in his services next season. He's, he's set for, for free agency here, so we'll see if he's back with the Blues. Um, I, I just would be, you know, uh, I would be surprised if uh, if he is, honestly. Why, why battle? I mean, I guess if he likes it in St. Louis, there's other factors there. But, you know, why why battle Bennington with the risk of, of not, where you could certainly go somewhere else and, you know, walk in as the presumptive starter? After what happened in the postseason, I, I would say that's not the case. He's definitely not the presumptive starter heading into next year. He'll have to win out a battle with Bennington, possibly split time along the way as well. So 
Uh, I agree that that was definitely the turning point of the series uh, and really uh, changed, changed the tone. You know, it seemed like Colorado just had way more, uh, you know, on, uh, on Huso. They just were able to, to do more against him and, and really put up the numbers. Yeah, one more note on Huso. He's a pending free agent, AJ. He's a pending UFA, so he has an opportunity to really shop himself around the league to see what's out there and available. He might even get an undisputed number one opportunity somewhere else. So really curious to see how that whole situation plays out. There's three or four goalies that are going to be testing the market that are probably in that same caliber range uh, of of a guy who kind of took the reins in St. Louis this year and had a fine season. So that's a storyline for the offseason, and we'll get to that in one of our later episodes this summer with uh, a look at free agency. But we're going to continue our look at this series with uh, some of the numbers that I uh, I see from the top players, AJ. Again, the top players delivered for the winning team, no surprise. Nate McKinnon, three goals, four assists. Landis Cog, three goals, two helpers. Rantanen, a goal and five assists. Kadri with four goals, three assists. Kale McCarr with three assists. Maybe a, a lower point total for him that I, that I would have forecast. And uh, on defense, he was matched with Devin Tage with a goal and two helpers. Kemper allowed 17 goals in the five games played for Colorado. So really not a factor in, in nailing it down. Uh, this was a case of Colorado outscoring any issues that they might have had elsewhere. Look at what St. Louis's top guys did, though. Ryan O'Reilly with four points. Perron with four goals. Tarasenko was limited maybe a little more than we thought he might be with a goal and two helpers. Uh, Justin Falk had a very nice series, I thought, with a goal and three assists. And as I say, Bennington going out in game three, the decisive factor, we both see it that way. AJ, why don't you take us through the Edmonton-Calgary series, uh, what you saw and how it wound up being shorter than than what I thought for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the biggest uh, biggest surprise was, you know, in, in my opinion at least, was the, the lack of uh, goaltending for, for Calgary and, and specifically Markstrom here. You know, it kicked off with that 15 uh, goal, just monstrosity of a, of a game. Um, he actually, you know, Markstrom actually came up on the, the winning end of, of that one. But after that, it was all downhill. But you look at his numbers, never gave up fewer than four goals in that five game series. Um, so really, you know, I, I, I mentioned, uh, you know, on DraftKings earlier today that Darcy Kemper wasn't very good. I still stand by that. I don't think he was, but he was better than Markstrom. uh, And that was just enough. I mean, we're talking just offensive explosions from both sides of the ice. Um, Ultimately, you know, Edmonton outscored Calgary 25 to 20, but you have McDavid with 12 points in the series. Dreisaitl with 17. Zach Hyman comes in with six goals, you know, on the other side. Johnny Gaudreau with six points, Lindholm with four points to Chuck with three goals, although all of those came in the same game. So you could point to him kind of drying up offensively um, from there. So we'll have to see, um, you know, what what the next series looks like. But if there is one of these two series that could put up these kind of goal numbers, it's certainly uh, the, you know, the Edmonton uh, Colorado series that could be this this heavy. Yeah, and in terms of the the stats, I mean, the the uh, Edmonton Oilers outscored Calgary twenty five to twenty in this series. Uh, it was nine six the other way after the first game, so really tilted big time. Um, so 
I want to highlight the top scorers in this set. There were some crazy numbers. And uh, we'll begin with the Edmonton Oilers. And I'm very impressed by the the top two guys there. Obviously, everybody was. Connor McDavid, three goals, nine assists. And and Leon Dreisaitl, for a guy who was alleged to be playing on one and a half legs in this series, two goals and 15 assists. That's incredible. He set a club record, an NHL record, in fact, with five straight three goal, a uh, three point efforts in the postseason, And, uh, I had to do a double take when I thought, geez, you mean Lemieux and Gretzky never did that. in some of their long playoff runs, even Doug Gilmore with a couple of long playoff runs in Toronto, I thought might've been a contender for that, that record, but no, it was five straight by, by dry And by the end of the series, he looked pretty healthy to me, but uh, the telltale sign AJ that kind of tilted the series was that some of the other support cast, I won't even call them secondary scorers. When you consider these are all top six players on the on the Oilers team, Hyman with six goals and two assists. This was a shock for me. This guy in five previous playoffs played well for the Maple Leafs, but he didn't even tally a total of eight points in total in those five playoff rounds. Got them in one series here in five games. An outstanding run for him. Evander Kane leads the NHL in goals for the play goal scoring in the playoffs he got five of them in the set and one helper and ryan nugent hopkins a guy who doesn't get mentioned with the top players in edmonton but he really should in my opinion he is has got the pedigree a former first overall draft pick like some of the other guys but six points in in his uh, account for for this series as well and if go to the other side johnny gaudreau one goal and five assists he got three of those points in the first game but was very quiet after that ditto for Elias Lindholm with two goals and two assists, and and uh, Matthew Tuchuk three goals, all in game one. He was held to one assist beyond that. So uh, a stunning stat when you consider Jacob Markstrom twenty four goals against in five games played. That was the telltale sign. They just couldn't, couldn't be, keep the puck out of the net, and it was his worst stretch of the season, partner. Yeah, I mean, there's no arguing that. I, I think we, uh, you know, kind of have have hammered him enough, uh, Markstrom. That is, um, he he just wasn't good enough, unfortunately. All right, partner. Well, that takes care of what we saw. Now we're going to take a bit of a break and uh, come back to you with our preview of the conference final matchups as well. We're going to throw in a DFS segment. We haven't done it uh, for a while. Uh, with the sporadic nature of the broadcast in the postseason. But the fact is now we have a game on tap tonight and we're going to go to a showdown type format with both FanDuel and DraftKings picks. And we'll be happy to wrap up our show with that segment. But for now, stay tuned. We're going to pause for our messages and then we'll be back with the preview of the third round, the conference finals. You're listening to PuckCast with Statsman and AJ, Roto-Wire Signature NHL Hockey Pod. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're back. You're back listening to Paul Bruno and AJ Scholes, the dynamic duo of Rotowire's hockey podcast, podcast with Statsman and AJ is what it's called. And uh, we're very pleased to represent Rotowire in this uh, format for sure. It's been a pleasure for me all year long. It's the fifth year that you and I, AJ, have worked on this thing together. And uh, we're hopeful of coming back with this format. You're able to watch us. I think it's six, isn't it, Paul? I think well, it is six. You're right, actually. It is. And so, but uh, we're testing a format now where we're showing this thing live and we're next year, we hope to start this way too. And, and it'll be very interactive when we get uh, the fantasy hockey element back in full swing at the start of the season with people planning their strategies and so on. And we'll be welcoming questions and answers live during the broadcast. So looking forward to that, uh, another step in the growth of our show. And you're right. It's the seventh year, the end of the seventh year that I've done this thing and six with you partner. And it's been a blast. So uh, I want you to take us uh, to the reminder of how our listeners can get in touch with us on a weekly basis going forward. And even in the off season, there'll be opportunity to, to consult with us about how you plan, start planning for next year and, and any questions they may have, how do they get in touch with us? 
Yeah, absolutely. So primarily uh, get in touch with us on Twitter. You can follow me at AJ Schultz 24. You can follow Paul at Statsman22. Um, all of our you know stuff, we always retweet out if we're doing this live. If we're uh, over on DraftKings on their uh, daily show, we'll tweet out, you know, retweet those so that you can catch us on those places as well. And then obviously, if you want to just interact with us, questions, comments, concerns, hit us up again at AJ Souls 24 uh, for any questions you have for myself at Staffsman22 for questions for Paul. Um, and we can get into those uh, with you, you know, throughout the off season. If you have, you know, keeper questions coming up, trying to decide who you're going to keep for next year, we're happy to help and, and dive in on those with you. Okay, partner, let's get into it. The conference final on the east side, the New York Rangers versus the Tampa Lightning. You're talking about a New York Rangers team that's done a rebuild on the fly. It wasn't even so long ago that they sent a letter to their season ticket holders saying, we're going through a rebuild. It's going to involve some pain, and uh, we hope that you should be patient with us. But, man, it seems to have happened faster than I thought it would, AJ. And here they are. They found them, find themselves in the third of a round of a nice playoff run, and they're opposing the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions, you'd have to think they're going in as somewhat of an underdog in this set. But when you look over the regular season slate between these two teams, I was rather surprised to find the Rangers swept the three games played, outscoring Tampa by the, to the tune of 10-4, to 4, so handling them uh, rather easily, I would suggest, on the regular season. But anybody who thinks that the, the Lightning is going to be an easy out is uh, sadly mistaken. I do think the Rangers have an excellent club, They've kind of matched them across the board. When we get into the matchups of goalies, defense, and forward, you'll see that it's not uh, not too wide a margin, I don't think, at least in two of the categories. And why don't we start that analysis, AJ, by you taking us through the head-to-head matchup in the Nets. Yeah, Andre Vasilevsky, fresh off of two Stanley Cups, looking for a third against the youngster, relative, relative youngster, Igor Shosturkin. Uh, I think it'll be a good matchup here. I mean, both guys have looked uh, very solid during the, the postseason. Numbers have been great. Vasilevsky, obviously, with the edge here, 9-3-2 was his save percentage, 2.2 to the goals against average. Slightly better than the numbers from Shesterkin. Obviously, the other factor here, don't forget, Igor got pulled in two games during that opening series. Obviously, seems to have put that behind him uh, and has improved steadily from there. So uh, while I do think, generally speaking, they're two evenly matched goalies, uh, I personally will give the edge to Vasilevsky. He's got two Stanley Cups behind him and has been completely unbeatable in his last five games. Uh, and, and is, you know, just playing some of the best hockey of his career, which is hard to say when you have a guy with uh, his name on the on the cup twice. Absolutely well said, AJ. I don't know that you can show much of a disparity between the two guys, but it's the it's the rings. And I'm reminded of Patrick Waugh's comment, he's got two rings in his ears, so he can't hear what other people are saying about him if they criticize him. But the same could be said for Andrew Vasilevsky. I don't know anybody who would criticize his play in this postseason, though he did. I, I, I can't believe it's the same goalie we're seeing who gave up at least three goals in each of the first six games of this playoff year. But he's really buttoned things down in the last five, as you highlighted earlier in the show. So I don't think we're going to see high-scoring action here on the DraftKings show. I said that this might be a series where you hammer the under 
uh, in terms of the, uh, the goal total in the games played on a nightly basis here until I see something different. I don't know how either team scores a ton of goals on these two outstanding net-minded. In terms of the defense structures, I'm going to start the analysis there, AJ. Looking at the depth on the blue line for the New York Rangers, of course, their linchpin is Adam Fox. I mentioned he's, had, he's coming off an outstanding series in the most recent round against Carolina, but he's not the only offensive threat they have here. They've got Jacob Trubas had a very nice playoff run. Ryan Lindgren and Keandre Miller also capable of factoring into the scoring. And what a baptism for a young Braden Schneider, who has had a cameo uh, on their third pairing. Not bad. Not a bad way to wind up your third, first season in the NHL to be uh, poised to play in the, in the conference finals here. And he's insulated by the veteran defender Justin Braun on this blue line. On the flip side, you've got Tampa. AJ, why don't you share with your with our listeners and viewers what you think about the Tampa Blue? Well, yeah, similarly to the Rangers, you know, the big name up top kind of leading the way offensively, and that's Victor Hedman, uh, currently third in defensive scoring during the postseason here with 10 points that trails Adam Fox, obviously, along with Kale McCarr. You know, the the knock here is I, I do think the Rangers have a little bit more guys capable of producing offensively. Um, you know, you look at, at at the Lightning and after Hedman next, you've got Ryan McDonough with four points, Mikhail Sergachev with just four points. And he's a player that I think for a while we've been expecting to be more offensively solid. Um, that hasn't necessarily been the case. I, you know, on the flip side, the numbers aren't huge, but there's a few more guys that can contribute. Keandre Miller's got five, Ryan Lindgren with four, Jacob Truba with four. So really pretty steadily built. If I had to pick an edge for offensive mindset, I might give it to the to the, um, to the the Rangers. But you've got a couple of guys here in Ryan McDonough, Zach Bogosian, Eric Cernak, who are shut down defenders to the best. And in fact, the Lightning went with seven defensemen dressing Jan Ruta, for their most recent game as well, something they could continue to do if Brandon Hagel and Braden Point remain out of the lineup, which leads me into, I'll just dive right into yeah. lightning uh, forwards here. That is a big concern. Brandon Hagel was uh, on the ice for practice today, didn't finish it, and then did come back out after practice to do some individual work. So I would say his status definitely is considered a game time call heading into game one there. Braden Point was not seen at practice at all today, so I would guess that he won't be available. So that leads us with Stamkos, Sorelli, and Kucherov as the top line. Andre Palat, Nick Paul, and Alex Kalorn as the second line. Look, they produced perfectly well. These were the same lines that we saw, uh, top six lines that we saw without Point during the previous series. So it obviously didn't hurt them too much. Of course, you'd like to get a Braden Point back. Um, the question is, you know, does Riley Nash step into the lineup if, if Brandon Hagel is not able to go? Do they continue dressing seven defensemen or do they bring somebody else in? So there are some some definite questions for the depth for the Lightning as they start to pile up a few more injuries here. Absolutely. And you consider the fact that their fourth liners in some of the games they played, uh, Patrick Maroon and Corey Perry have played six or seven minutes. I'm going to suggest that with the injury to Hagel, that you're going to see the minutes on those guys rise a little bit more. Nick Paul's going to be a key guy for them too, centering that second scoring line. 
he's a pending UFA as well. So this is a real good cameo opportunity for him to advertise his wares on the big stage. But he's had a fine playoff for them too. And that second line with wingers Palat and Killorn, nothing to sleep on. Uh, but but the key is going to be that top line. Can can the Rangers find a way to corral Kucherov and Stankos particularly? On the flip side, we're going to look at the Ranger offense, and they had a very good playoff run from Mika Zibanejad and Chris Kreider, uh, continuing his scoring exploits on the regular season. Frankie Vitrano has been a guy who's been uh, riding shotgun with these guys and a very good DFS value play uh, for much of the postseason. Uh, I'm looking for Panarin to break out of a bit of a scoring slump. Uh, uh, he'll be a key to driving the second line, A.J., and you talk about a great addition that they made at the deadline. Andrew Kopp has had an outstanding playoff. He, too, is a pending UFA. But he's he's really may have found a home with the Rangers. I don't know how they would part company with the way he has had such a nice run with them. Really solidifying that second line, uh, which is centered by Ryan Strong, a formidable six-pack there. And I would say with the bumps and bruises that the, the Tampa has, I mean, maybe you can make a case that that the Rangers have a bit of an edge uh, in terms of the offensive depth when you figure they can ice a third line that's made up of former first draft pick overall, Alexi Lafreniere, Philip Hedl, and Capo Caco, three youngsters with a lot of offensive upside. But I wonder if the Tampa club puts a checking unit on them, they might flip the script and counterpunch these guys to death and, and maybe to expose them a little bit with their inexperience. The fourth line opportunists for the Rangers are their top tough guy, Ryan Reeves. Barclay Gaudreau, a guy that Tampa's very familiar with since he cut his teeth with, with them in their successful run for jumping ship. And then Tyler Mott rounding out their six, their 12 forwards. They even have some experience in the wings should, should anything falter there. So I think uh, on the whole, AJ, correct me if I'm wrong or oppose me if you wish, but I think the Rangers have a slight edge in, in overall depth. And maybe maybe overall talent too. Definitely, I think in in depth uh, with point out. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't know if I'd go totally on talent, but uh, yeah, definitely more up and comers, right? Like it's yeah. kind of veterans versus young guys. Not that each team doesn't have a mix of, of both. Obviously, Mika's had been a jet is is not a youngster, but um, yeah, I do think on on depth. Um, and then I'll I'll just convey one interesting story I saw today. Andrew Kopp reportedly told Chris Drury, sorry about your first round pick after they won the series <laughs> last night as part of the condition for him being traded uh, from Winnipeg. If the Rangers won two playoff rounds and Kopp played in 50% of those games, he's played in all of them, uh, that pick upgraded to a first rounder. So unfortunately, the Rangers lost a first rounder, but I don't think anybody within the organization or fan base is complaining about that one. AJ, I think we're in agreement here that we're going to give Tampa the edge in this series overall. I call them in six games. I just think there's too much experience here, and the Rangers might be looking around thinking, boy, look how far we've come. And the Rangers, are uh, the Lightning, on the other hand, are saying, well, we're halfway home. It's different perspectives, and it might be the, the telltale sign that uh, propels Tampa to winning this series in six games, in my opinion. Yeah, look, I've been saying, you know, I've been doing playoff preview articles. We've been doing this playoff preview show. I've been repeating the same mantra over and over again. Don't stop betting on the Lightning until they prove you wrong, right? And so yeah. there's no reason to change course now. Um, I'm going to stick with them. I got them in six as well. 
but certainly I have no worries if it, if it goes to seven, I think they can close it out that way too. Um, I'm not expecting another sweep by any stretch of the imagination here. Um, but I do think they have the edge, especially with the way Vasilevsky is playing right now. And AJ, as uh, a nod to you and your knowledge of goaltending, uh, I'm, I'm calling, I've called you the goalie guru uh, in this show in the past. <laughs> and we'll lead off our analysis with a look at the two goalies, or maybe more than two goalies that will show up in this series uh, that we're going to talk about next. And that's the Colorado Edmonton tilt, uh, a series that where uh, in the regular season, Edmonton held these guys in check offensively. They only there were a total of only seventeen goals scored in the in the three games played, and and the Colorado won the series two games to one in the regular season, but uh, tight games uh, pretty much. And uh, I wonder if we're going to see uh, the scoring explosion that we both anticipate, but. Uh, the goalie, goalie comparison is an interesting one. Why don't you tell us all about your observations there? Yeah, so I'll start with Colorado and, and Darcy Kemper. You know, I said, like I said previously, his numbers weren't great in this series. Uh, 277 was the goals against average. Obviously got the four wins that they needed, um, but really seemed inconsistent. I mean, you've got the five goals against on, on 30 shots in, in game, uh, let's see, game five there. Um, two or three goals allowed in every other one. Um, so really, you know, not not the best play. And I think he needs to be better if they're going to get through this. Um, you know, we'll touch more on the offense. But in my opinion, Colorado is less built to overcome some goaltending woes than the Edmonton Oilers are. And I think Edmonton is going to need to overcome those woes when you consider you've got uh, Mike Smith, who – Technically is on a, a four game winning streak here, but again, his numbers in this series, not great. 3.40 goals against average was, was that now, even if you take that first game out, he's still at a two seven four for the four games that he won there. Um, I would be surprised if we see anybody else here. I know Koskinen came in um, during that, that when he got pulled in, in game, when Smith got pulled in game one. Um, but at this point, I wouldn't expect we're going to see Koskinen or Francis unless that those guys are coming in um, in replacement in a game. I, I would not expect either one to start. It's going to be Smith against Darcy Kemper. And really, Kemper, in my opinion, is is the linchpin here. Smith, if he struggles, the offense can overcome that. Kemper, not so much. They, they could maybe for a game or two, um, but overall they're going to need him to play better uh, against a high-powered offense. What I got to say about Mike Smith, uh, I, I'm more of a fan of his that you, than you've been, but that doesn't mean he's one of my favorites by any means. We're talking about a 40 year old guy who's pressed into service with a long playoff run. I am, I'm wondering how many Edmonton fans are holding their breath that this guy can just continue to play game in, game out at the high level that he's had to play in some of these contests. I mean, the uh, the stage is no bigger in this round than it was the last really other than your one round closer to the playoffs but playing in that battle of Alberta he had to raise his game and he did answer the bell uh, with four nice performances to round it out but there is a specter of that first one when he got absolutely blitzed and I and I think that we could see that early on in this round I wonder how he's going to react when when that avalanche 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 I'll call it (laughs) comes comes his way because 
I've seen so many games with Colorado this year where they just kind of overwhelm the opposition and they've driven more than their share of goalies out of the net. I think we're going to see that at some point early in this series. And I'm wondering how Smith will react to that. That's, that's really a bit of a wild card that I'm going to forecast early on in this series. But uh, more in terms of uh, looking at the blue line here, again, the composition of both blue lines is very intriguing to me. They've got both got a wealth of offensive pop, uh, pop from the back end. You look at Edmonton and they've, they've separated their defense to have one very good offensive piece on each of the pairings, Darnell Nurse with Cody Ceci, who's been a very good stay-at-home defenseman, a revelation for me, the way he's played again in this postseason. But you had a different perspective with a, with his uh, growth in Pittsburgh before he came to Edmonton showing this. Uh, I didn't see it. So I'm, I'm really impressed with what I've seen out of Ceci on the defensive side of the puck. Duncan Keith is kind of showing everybody why Edmonton was willing to take on his big contract. He's insulated Evan Bouchard and helped him elevate his play. He's been the most surprising component of the of the Edmonton Blue Line, I'll say, and has almost parlayed that into a lot of appearances on the top power play unit, which has enhanced his DFS value. And uh, a guy who he shares that with is on the third pairing, Tyson Berry. He's playing with the baggage smasher, Brett Kulak, insulating him. So really good look on the Edmonton Blue Line on paper, but boy, they still give up a lot of shots on goal. They'll reward you at the other end of the ice with the value that the three offensive pieces bring to the table, in my opinion. On the flip side, what do you see out of the Colorado blue line, AJ? Well, I think the the difference here in this matchup could be, you know, the blue line. You you mentioned there are a decent number of, you know, options here for Edmonton. Cody Cece with, with seven points, Bouchard with eight. But that eight points is second best, arguably tied for second best when you look at Colorado's point production, led by Kale McCarr, 13 points in 10 games, just ridiculous numbers from him. And then they have Devin Taves with eight points, four goals as well. Um, And you want to go even deeper here, Bowen Byram with six assists. Josh Manson's got five points in the postseason. So I I think Colorado has a lot better offensively-minded team uh, in terms of the the blue line here, and it's going to be a factor for them. And then they throw out there the uh, I'll put in quotes the Johnson brothers. I know they're not actually related, but you've got Eric Johnson and Jack Johnson, um, capable shutdown guys. Again, I, I talked last time we did this that you know Jack Johnson in limited minutes can be a really good defensive option. You just can't be putting him out there for 20, 25 minutes a night. That's not going to work. But if you've got him out there for 17, 18, something like that, um, he's certainly capable of, of helping shut down that defense. And, and even in that game seven, they only put him out there for nine minutes, but that's nine minutes less that, you know, kill McCarr or somebody has to be out there. So um, I think they've got a good group here. I like their depth. If they want to, they've got Ryan Murray, or Curtis McDermott available. Obviously, unfortunately, they won't have Sam McGarrard for the rest of the playoffs after that uh, chest injury for him. And boy, is there anything there? There's only a handful of injuries. I was talking about this earlier with somebody, only a handful of injuries that sound worse than broken sternum. That just does not (laughs) sound good. Um, Anything worse than that usually starts with the word ruptured in, in my opinion, but broken sternum definitely up there. 
Yeah, that's that's a big blow to their blue line and kind of almost levels the playing field between it and a comparison on the blue line for my money. In terms of forwards, boy, oh boy, we're going to see some excellent forwards uh, in action in this postseason. Talk about star power. Look at Colorado able to ice Gabriel Landeskog and Nate McKinnon on one line, Nazem Kadri and Miko Rantanen on on a second line. The, the guys that will provide you DFS value in these regards are Arturi Lekkinen will round out the top line on the right wing and Valery Nichushkin. I should have let you say that. You handle it. Too already. late. Too late. It's already yours. It's out there. So Nichushkin will round out the second line and he's been a real revelation. Uh, finally finding his overall game in Colorado and what a great place for him to land on the second line with Kadri and Rantanen. The third line, it's got some offensive punch, too, when you consider JT Comfer uh, factored in uh, to one of the games in the last round. And Andre Burakovsky is a guy that they could plug into the top six anytime they want. Nicholas Aubé-Kubel is a bit of a step down in terms of rounding out the, the three lines. You know about him, seeing him with player Penguins for years as a Philadelphia Flyer. But... Uh, Andrew Cogliano, insurance on the fourth line. Darren Helm, a veteran as well. Logan O'Connor, youngster, rounding out the top 12 here in Colorado. There's a ton of firepower in the top six, but it's not maybe not even limited to that with Comfer and Burkowski on a third unit, AJ. And uh, how will Edmonton counter these guys with the look on their offense? Yeah, right now they are rolling with what uh, we'll call the two-headed monster on that first line with Evander Kane and then Connor McDavid and Leanne Dreisaitl lining up together. Um, that's how they've been deploying, at, at least at the start of games. Um, I think, you know, it gives them all kinds of firepower. And so far, it's been working out. You mentioned Zach Hyman's six goals. So now he's second line with Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Jesse Pujarvi, uh as that second line. But they have the ability to move Dreisaitl back. They could put... You know, there's uh, Puyarvi could play on that top line. Kaylor Yamamoto, Zach Cassian have all spent time on that top line. So they have plenty of options there. Um, and then again, more options. If they move Drysaddle back to the second line, they could put Nugent Hopkins on the wing, whether the first or second line, or drop him to a third line role uh, and give themselves some more depth. So the, the flexibility of this team from those top six guys, I think could uh, create matchup problems for Colorado. Um, but you want to talk putting all your bags in one basket. As you mentioned, Paul, Lekkinen is getting the looks lately on that top line. Yeah. But easily, Miko Rantanen slots right back in there um, for their MGM line, if you will. So that's certainly a possibility. Um, I, I would guess we'll see some changes depending on the outcome of game one, possible changes right away for game two as they try and play this this mismatch game. You know what? I want to see right off the face-off the two big lines facing off against one another. Let's not pussyfoot around and third line. <laughs> I want to see power against power and keep them on for two minutes to start the game just to set the tone. <laughs> I want to see it. I can't wait. And uh, boy, oh boy, I hope that this series lives up to the offensive hype that I that I'm building up at least in my mind, AJ. In terms of the way I see it playing out, I think it could go the distance. I think Edmonton's really riding a wave right now, and. Uh, if Colorado were to lose one of these first two games, that might really tilt the scales Edmonton's way. So very important for Colorado to, to get off on the right foot tonight. I think this series is going to go the distance, partner. I think it's Colorado's to lose. I think they're going to win it in seven games. And home ice 
will be a pivotal factor for them, I do think. Yeah, I, I thought about going in five here with, with Colorado, you know, take the two at home, split um, the series uh, on the road, and, and then close it out in game five. And I think that's still a decent option here. Um, but ultimately, for me, um, I'm going to go six. I, I think it takes one more game, um, but I think we're both on the same page here. Re- really exciting here today, Paul. We're both on the Lightning in six, and then I take the abs in six. You take the abs in seven. So not a lot of disagreement from us today. Um, but, yeah, I just think, you know, this has been set up for, you know, the team that's been trying to get there, the up-and-coming Colorado Avalanche. Is this the year they finally push through? versus the Lightning, who are going for number three. And I, I think the storylines will be great. Matchup will be great. We have to get there first, though. Let's not sleep on on the Rangers um, and, and the uh, the Oilers. I think both teams are capable and are, are going to make uh, the other two squads work for it. Absolutely. And, AJ, I know I, I'm pretty excited about getting back to the, the – uh, fantasy portion of our show where we draft lineups again we didn't get a chance to do it on our last episode and so we're back with a look at fan duel lineups and drafting lineups with a bit of a twist in the postseason where we're going for kind of a showdown format where you pick one player as effectively your team captain and his point total gets a 50 percent boost on on the fan duel side and you can remind our listeners on the DraftKings side of how how things work but we're picking a five pack of players and not necessarily even including a goalie at least I'll tip my hand and say I didn't include one in tonight's game which features Edmonton and Colorado I wonder how your team lines up on the DraftKings side so why don't you share that with our listeners yeah, so DraftKings, uh, as our, our friend Jesse Cofield always says, uh, one and a half times the salary, one and a half times the points there for your captain. You're picking six players um, overall for, for DraftKings here. And I agree with you, Paul. With tonight's slate, I, I wouldn't touch a goalie. Um, tomorrow, if I'm playing showdown, I might consider taking Vasilevsky or Shesterkin possibly even captaining one of those two guys um, if I if I think they're going to put together a strong game. Um, but for tonight, I'm not touching the goalies. I think we could see a goal fest. And I want to give myself some some room here to build. And, and to do that, um, I go down and I, I captain Gabriel Landeskog. He comes at 11-4 as the captain. Definitely a cheaper option compared to what you could pay up for for McDavid or McKinnon. But by paying down for my captain, for a guy like Landis Gog, who has plenty of goals so far uh, in the postseason, I actually can include McDavid and McKinnon in my lineup here. So I get Landis Gog captain, McDavid 10-8 is the salary, McKinnon 10-6. I can even throw in Leon Dreisaitl at 9,200 here. Um, so the flexibility by paying down for captain uh, is there obviously it's, it may not be the best cash game play because you're taking more risk uh, not including one of those top guys but you get all three in there and then I have two basically value plays based on position to round out my lineup we mentioned Arturi Lekkinen he's playing on that top line with McKinnon and Landeskog 4800 lets me stop stack that whole first line and then at just 2000 which is a really low salary for uh, a showdown slate, you you can get Jesse Pugliarvi in there. Again, he's not on the top line, but he's playing with Nugent Hopkins and Zach Hyman, certainly capable of getting points with them. So really, I've got an entire lineup built of top six players here. 
Um, and again, I, I stress the roster flexibility I got at the start by captaining Landeskog instead of one of those more high-priced options. Yeah, the, the, the FanDuel setup is slightly different in terms of the salary penalty that you pay on the DraftKings side. There is no such animal on the FanDuel side. A little bit different. So you pick your captain. It's just one and a half times the points, and you pay a salary uh, at the rate that it's uh, assigned in. So my captain is Nate McKinnon, $15,000 his price tag going in. And I'm going to, I'm not going four players to one. I'm going three players to two in my matchup. There's only five, five spots on the FanDuel side. I'm going to have Evander Kane, the top goal scorer in the playoffs as the, my top rep from the Edmonton side at $11,000. And then I've, Throw in Miko Rantanen for $11,500 as the sidekick to Nate McKinnon on the power play, and he'll get a lot of reps at even strength with him too. I know they mix it up a little bit with that uh, trio, including Landeskog from time to time, but they'll be on the ice a lot together, and I think there's going to be a lot of goals scored by Colorado tonight, so I'll, I'll plug him in for $11,500. Then, in, in a bit of a twist, AJ, uh, I don't know how you feel about this, but I'm going to go with a couple of defensemen who factor into the offense for both clubs and I get them in because their salaries are low enough that I can get both of them in, in play. Devin Taves is a guy I've been a high on throughout the postseason. He has, he's had a very nice run the whole year in Colorado with uh, his points per game on the season. He's getting getting like 0.8 points per game all year long. He's got about 80 games played, eight, 90 games played so far this season. So uh, really good year for him, and I expect it to continue in this round. And then I mentioned Evan Bouchard, AJ, the cheapest guy in my lineup at $8,500. He's going to get some looks on the power play for Edmonton. He's getting a regular shift with one of their top scoring lines uh, on a regular basis in, in much of the minutes that he's playing too. So I figure he, he's going to find a way to the score sheet as well. So out of my five pick, five pack, I've got two defensemen in there. I wonder what you think about that strategy. Well, I, I like the Taves play. I'm not as high on, on Bouchard, but the salary savings obviously gives you uh, some options there. Yeah, so that's that's really what guided me because I was left with so little money. I thought, who could I plug in as a bit of a difference maker? And I landed on Bouchard. That's really how that strategy came to, came to fruition more than anything else. Well, partner, that's, that's our analysis of what happened in round two what we expect in round three, and wouldn't it be something if the teams flipped the script and we saw uh, two goal, two or three goals total tonight in, in this game and then maybe a shootout at Madison Square Garden. But I really think we're going to see a lot of goals tonight, not so many tomorrow night. And I wonder uh, if you see the thing playing out the same way as we open these series. Yeah, I mean, like like we've said, uh, obviously on, on paper, they're – the goaltending battle versus the offensive explosion, but both sides have guys capable of flipping that script, and we'll see what we can get. Uh, should be a fun, uh, fun conference series, and you know we'll be we'll be back for the Stanley Cup before you know it. Absolutely, AJ, and that's a that's a nice tease. We are not coming to you every week in this postseason. We come to you at the beginning of each round to give you a real full, as full analysis as we can of what we've seen in the previous round and forecasting what what comes next. So the next time you'll hear these voices is on the eve of the Stanley Cup final. I've enjoyed this postseason immensely, AJ, and I know you have too. 
so as we look forward to the next show, in the meantime, we remind you, please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22. You can follow AJ at AJScholes24. So long, everybody.